welcome to Emotion Well, EFR's podcast about all things related to emotional wellness. I'm Johanna Dunlevy, the wellness manager for Employee and Family Resources, also known as EFR, and I'm the host of our podcast. As an FYI, EFR is located in Des Moines, Iowa, and we are Iowa's first employee assistance program and provide a variety of services you can learn more about at www.efr.org. I am here today with Leslie Burkus, one of my longtime friends, and I'm so excited to speak with Leslie about embracing environmental wellness and getting outdoors and exploring. Leslie, welcome to Emotion Well. Hi, Joe. Nice to see you and hear you. Yes. Well, so this is exciting because Leslie and I have known each other for almost 20 years, which I'm... Don't say it. (laughs) I know. I'm aging us and I'm dating us, Uh, but we met in college and yes, so she calls me Joe. Little little fun fact. No one, none of our listeners might not know that. Oh but, boy. Uh, yeah. So behind the curtain here. <laughs> I know. I know. It's a candid, candid conversation. But uh, Leslie, I thought of you as someone who could really um, speak to why it's important to connect with our natural surroundings. And especially in April, the seasons are changing. You know, for those of us living in the Midwest, it was a very long, very cold, very snowy winter. And so I just think the the thought of spring or just when spring arrives, it gives people an opportunity to refresh and, and get outside. And when I thought about someone who could share that with us, I thought about you. So tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and maybe why I would have asked you to be my guest. Sure. Well, um, yes, Joe. As Now I've said it twice. I've been meaning to ask you if maybe you don't like me calling you Joe, but well, we can profession- say that for later. <laughs> Professionally, I do prefer Johanna. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we've known each other for quite some time when we met at the dorms at University of Northern Iowa, Go Panthers. Go Panthers. And um, yeah, I've just uh, always had an interest in the environment, always a love for the environment. I work for a nonprofit called Trees Forever, and we have a mission to plant and care for trees, involve community, and always involve lots of people with the work we do because we know how important the environment is to people. Um, and I, like I said, just have had a long interest from when I did my high school uh, speech about caring for the environment and why people should care in 10th grade <laughs> to going through college and getting my master's degree in environmental policy or public policy with an emphasis in environmental policy, just because I know it's such an uh, important thing to us all. If we don't have the environment, my opinion is we have nothing because mm-hmm. we all depend on clean water, healthy air. It's a basic need for us all, and if we aren't taking care of it, we won't be around for much longer to enjoy this earth. So now it's really incumbent on us to be cognizant of how we care for our natural world. So I do that through my work at Trees Forever. Other people might um, come at it from more of a water quality aspect, um, involving teenagers and getting them outdoors. There's lots of different avenues, but all in the name of helping us all have a nice, clean environment to live in. Yeah, I like how you said that if you don't have, you know, a healthy environment, you really don't have much because I, I've i always said, you know, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. But I mean, really, that relates to your yeah. your environment and, you know, how you treat your environment and how long that, you know, this this environment that we're living in can be sustained. So uh, in in wellness um, and and at EFR, so 
you know, a lot of people think wellness and they think, oh, I better eat healthy and exercise and do all of these things to maintain good physical health. But at EFR, we talk about multiple dimensions of someone's well-being and environmental well-being is just, you know, one of the eight dimensions of well-being that we place emphasis on at EFR. But really all of the dimensions are interconnected. And so when you think about it, if you're going to do something um, to maybe give back to the environment, so let's say you're going to try to reduce your carbon footprint by, you know, driving less. Okay, what's the alternative to driving? Well, maybe you're starting to bike or maybe you're starting mm-hmm. to walk. And so now your physical, you know, health is being positively impacted, you know, based on a choice you made uh, to do something for the environment. So I think it's really cool how all of those dimensions of well-being are interconnected. But how would you describe environmental well-being? So what would be your definition if someone were to say, hey, what's environmental well-being? Well, I'm afraid I won't be very eloquent in my answer. I mean, I think there's a couple of different ways to come at it. First, just being connected to nature. Um, we have an innate need to be connected to nature. It's, it, you know, it's with us since our we lived on in clans long mm-hmm. ago. I mean, we were outside, we were hunting and gathering, and those things stay with us. And so people just need to be connected to nature. There's so many studies out about how just... A, a view of nature from your office window or uh, school children to have a view from their classroom will help them perform better on tests. They will be calmer. They'll be happier. They'll perform better. You'll perform better at work just with even a view of nature. That's not even being outside. So mm-hmm. that tells us how important it is to us to just be connected to it in some way. And as I was thinking about some of this earlier, I, you know, maybe we'll get into this later because it's a little deep so early. But there's a new and emerging field on eco-anxiety, people just being worried about our climate and our changing world and what that means for us and our future generations. I, for one, uh, definitely succumb to that with extreme worry about what the future is going to hold for me. I don't have kids, and that is actually one reason. One of my deciding factors not having kids is worry about the future of our planet. Mm -hmm. And I know other people are worrying about that for their children as well, so... And that's why I said I wasn't very, very eloquent because there's a piece of us that just needs to be outside. We yeah. need to be out recreating. But then there's this new thing on the horizon for us all that may, may cause some of your listeners anxiety thinking about what the world will be like mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. a climate and uh, a climate health perspective. Yeah, for sure. I think it's gotten a lot of attention in in recent years, but I still think that it, while it's ha- while it's received a lot of attention, a lot of people have not made the connection mm-hmm. to the importance right. of it. Yeah. So I was doing a little research, as I always do for the podcast, and uh, there was a study. So the Yale School of Environment came out with this. Now, this is from 2017, so it's about four years old, but I thought it was interesting. It said, um, a study, the Nature of Americans National Report, which was conducted by a PR firm uh, in conjunction with state and federal wildlife and park agencies, found that more than half of adults reported spending five hours or less in nature each week. And being satisfied with that small amount of time spent outdoors. And parents of children 8 to 12 years old said that their children spend three times as many hours with computers and television each week as they do playing outside. So when I saw that the date on this was 2017, at first I was like, well, maybe I won't use that. But then I thought, no, we're living through a pandemic. And one thing, and I'm a parent of a small child, and when she was home with me during those first few months of the pandemic, and I was trying to work from home and try to occupy at the time she had just turned three, 
unfortunately, screen time was one was one mm-hmm. of the surefire ways for her to cooperate for you know yeah. a thirty minute webinar or a sixty minute team meeting. And so I just think you know in twenty seventeen, parents of young children said that their kids were spending three times as many hours with computers and and TVs each week as they do playing outside. I wonder how the pandemic has you know shifted that. Um, on the flip side, I think for many people, the pandemic might have been an opportunity to, okay, we can't do things indoors comfortably or safely. Let's get outside. Mm-hmm. You know, we're tired of staring at these four walls in our home. Let's do something outside. Uh, and then another thing that this study came up with, it said, you know, in addition to the lure of technology, people are spending less time in nature because the places where they work, live, and go to school generally do not encourage contact with the natural world. Uh, and I thought that was interesting. And, you know, when you think about it, especially people who live in urban environments, you know, maybe they haven't had opportunities to get outside. I grew up, and so did you, in a small, you know, community mm-hmm. in Iowa. And being outside was just part of my life as a kid. But I think it is less common for a lot of urban urban kids now. So let's talk about when you were younger. So when did you, you said you wrote a paper when you were in high school um, about, what was it about trees? Was it about trees? No, just the environment in okay. general. So, and I used to dress up like a fitness instructor when I was in elementary (laughs) school. So I I believe that we all are very deeply rooted to what our passions are in life from a, from a young age. But when, when did you first make a connection that you wanted to make a difference in the natural world? Or maybe that just environmental well-being was important to you and you could see that it was as important as taking care of other parts of your health and and well-being? Well, you know, that's not quite a moment I could pin on it or anything. Um, one thing I would say is that, as you know, I'm vegetarian, longtime vegetarian since high Wait, school. I've always considered you a vegan. Has something changed? And vegan changed? more recently. So I started vegetarian okay, okay. So and we're, then moved yes. into eating let's vegan. Let's bring it way back. Vegetarian yes. first. Yes. <laughs> well, that's a, often the first step for people yes. to navigating that type of eating lifestyle. Um, and for me, I think just overall, I'm the type of person that wants to speak for the voiceless. So that's why I, I've come at it from an animal rights perspective, a humane, mm-hmm. wanting to treat all animals humanely. But uh, eating vegetarian and vegan is one of the, I personally think, one of the best things you can do for the environment. Um, and so then that just transfers into my love for the environment. I need to speak for the voiceless. Trees mm-hmm. are the voiceless. Our water quality is the voiceless. And that that's where I come at it from and why it's such an important piece to me. And that's more of a... Um, intrinsic internal drive for Mm -hmm. myself but I know so many other people come at it from wanting to involve others in Mm -hmm. environmental work and I'd say that's actually more of a later development for me over the past maybe 10 years at Trees Forever because I like I said I'm so driven from an internal perspective but now when I get to work with our tree keepers program where we train volunteers to care for trees and then more recently our Growing Futures uh, teen employment program where we employ teenagers ages 14 to 18 to care for trees around the city of Des Moines and Cedar Rapids. Um, Seeing the people, the volunteers and the teens we work with just light up and engage and just hearing them understand the value of them planting a tree and what's gonna do for their future. I mean, we talk about that we're growing the next generation of trees and teens side by side. And it's so beautiful to think of it in that way and get people involved with the work. Yeah, that is really cool. It's kind of interesting. You said that initially your drive was intrinsic. And I think that's kind of the opposite of how a lot of people kind of find um, 
a well-being plan or path to take because a lot of people are motivated extrinsically first. Mm-hmm. You know, they see the reward versus they yeah. feel it. Um, so yeah. I think that's really cool that you felt it intrinsically. You kind of had that drive. So when we met in college, I believe you were a vegetarian, right. but shifting towards the vegan lifestyle. And um, I would say that of, you know, all the people I know, and this doesn't really have anything to do with your, you know, decision to become a vegan. You're one of the most principled and, you know, you have a strong moral (laughs) compass. And so uh, I would imagine that let's just talk about that for a moment because being a vegan, I'm sure has stretched you and made you, you know, uh, probably have to stand up for yourself in certain situations. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the, can you share with our listeners um, something really interesting that has come up in your life because you have chosen the vegan lifestyle? Well, I think probably this might go to help connecting more with people. The number of people who have either changed their diet or lifestyle after talking with me, that that's a big deal to have them hear from me. And I don't think I'm making any difference whatsoever, maybe just telling them why it's important to me or just uh, leading by example. And then to get an email or a message several years later saying, hey, I've been eating vegetarian for a year now. And what are some recipes? And it's all because you mentioned it. I mean, that. Maybe that's kind of small, but it means a lot to me to be oh, yeah. living the lifestyle and showing people why it's important. And I know it's not for everybody, and uh, a lot of people have different opinions. That's probably the hardest thing about eating vegetarian, vegan, is people's opinions around food. I mean, yeah, food is very so strong. important to yeah. us all. We have emotional connections. We have traditions around food. Mm-hmm. And when you take out something that you think is the central tradition of it, people get... Um, they can get upset. And so that can be kind of hard to navigate sometimes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know, and we don't socialize nearly as much as we used to just because of when the pandemic and also just, you know, life changes and Mm -hmm. I have a small child and I don't have as much flexibility as I used to, but I always thought it was kind of fun when I had you over for dinner or when I was going over to your place for dinner, because it was like, okay, so what can I what can I make that is vegan? And it yeah. just, it gave me opportunities to try different recipes and try different foods. And then, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's a lot of great things that I've learned just from being your friend and, you know, eating with you and, you know, celebrating life with you. And so I think it's cool that you're still hearing from people occasionally that, hey, yeah. I remember your 4th of July party where you used, mm-hmm. I think it was, was it jackfruit? Yes, jackfruit. And it was, yeah, for like a barbecue. pulled a pulled yep, barbecue pulled sandwich. Pork, pulled pork. Unquote. It was vegan pulled pork. And you know what? Yeah. It was pretty good. Yeah, I think I convinced a few people with those. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I wanted to go back to your, if you don't mind, going no, back yeah. to your idea of urban areas and getting yeah. people outdoors. Uh, a couple of things there. Maybe if we, it's a little easier in Iowa where you and I live. Um there's so much access to nature as opposed to maybe a big city like Chicago or, you know, Atlanta where you, you have so much more concrete uh-huh. and it's not as easy to get someplace. So we really like to think of people getting access to everyday nature. And the trees that line your street are part of nature. We live in a forest. It's just an urban forest. Okay. The trees on our street, in my backyard, at the park, are our forest. Most people think they need to put on their hiking shoes and... Uh, get their backpack ready and their granola trail bars and go and hike (laughs) so that they can get this fresh alpine pine scented air. But if they reshape what they think about nature and how they can access it, you walking outside is accessing nature. You just viewing nature is accessing it. 
Uh, so I think that if we can think about that in more of an urban area, that you get to be outside and hear the birds and see the trees, that's that's your access. And it's just an everyday nature touch. Yeah, I, I like that. And I think, you know, for people who who have this impression that, okay, to be outdoorsy or to, you know, mm-hmm. somehow develop um, a hobby of outdoor recreation, I have to go to REI yeah. and, you know, invest a lot of money in hiking boots and backpacks. I mean, yeah, you can, but gosh, you certainly don't have to. And for people who want to explore nature, I know this past winter we went snowshoeing one mm-hmm. one day and it was like $5 to rent snowshoes right. from City of Des Moines Parks and Rec. And so um, even if you want to do something more formal like snowshoeing or cross-country skiing, there are avenues to do that that don't cost a lot of money. You don't have to make a big investment in your money or a commitment to a hobby down the road. So now I, I like how you said we live in an urban forest. Is that what you called it? Yes. Yeah, yeah I like that. I like that. Well, uh Go Do you ahead. mind if I kind of pick up? Because I, I'm not. I don't like camping. I am not. I'm not a hiker. Like I I'm don't. Not going I don't out. see you camping. I don't. No. <laughs> and I'm not going out and getting my hiking uh, backpack and shoes. I don't have. I'm not a member of REI, so I'm not going out and get all my gear. And I, I bring that up only that people might, like you said, they think that is mm-hmm. the way that you're supposed to access nature. Mm-hmm. To me, it's going outside in my backyard, my patio. I, I like to do more observation. That could be a really great and fun thing for people to do with their families. Uh, um, there's a word for it, and I, I should know it, but where you use a calendar and you write down your observations of nature. Oh, the robins are back um, oh. April 1st, whatever. And then you do it the next year, and you can start seeing a timeline of what changes in your own backyard. Um, and it would be a great thing to involve kids with and uh, just yourself if you're not maybe the type that wants to go out and put on your hiking boots. Yeah. I also think that we live in a in a world now where we're just kind of go, go, go. Mm-hmm. And we're not really paying a lot of attention to our natural surroundings or our surroundings, period. And I think that that's a concern for safety. But I also think we miss out on a lot of really wonderful and magical things that are happening. So, you know, I can't tell you how many times I've been walking down the street and the people I pass by, they have their faces in a phone and they're not really paying attention. And so on one hand, it's like, well, I hope you look before you cross the street, right? <laughs> I hope I hope you are safe. But there could be a rainbow in the sky or there could mm-hmm. be, like you said, the first robin of the spring that you're totally missing because you're just not being aware. And so yeah. when I think of environmental well-being, one of the first words that comes to my mind is awareness. And so it's, you know, awareness for the space around you, awareness of how you're treating the space around you awareness of what you can do in the space around you. And yeah, yeah, I mean, I love national parks. I know you love national parks. Mm -hmm. Um, I haven't had many opportunities in my life to visit them, but that doesn't mean that I can't find a cool park in Des Moines behind the art center to go snowshoeing, you know, because it's what's available to me. So I like that. Um, What about, so I was reading about nature therapy and do you know much about nature therapy? Like forest bathing? And- yes, a little bit, yep. So tell us more. Well, the idea originated in Japan where doctors were prescribing that instead of giving you a prescription for some sort of medication, prescribing you two hours of walking in the woods as wow. your medication. Uh, and that might be for a variety of things like depression or some mental health uh, issues. Or um, I'll tie it back I don't know all the, the medical side of it. I don't want to presume to know all the medical side of it. But there's studies out that have done trial or, I guess, studies showing people who have views of nature from their hospital bed versus a view of a brick mm-hmm. wall. 
and the people who had views of nature, this is just views, this is not being outside in nature, they healed faster, got out of the hospital faster, um, had better blood pressure, had better health outputs, were nicer to their nurses, mm-hmm. and overall just better able to navigate what they were in the hospital for. Both people, same issues they were in the hospital for. Now, it's not that the trees and the view of nature magically healed them. It's that they were calmer and better. their immune system was better able to deal with whatever was in front of them yeah. because they, they were less stressed in the hospital. Yeah. And so they healed faster. Same thing with the spores bathing. So definitely coming at it from a mental health perspective, but perhaps it's being prescribed for other issues too, just to help you keep yourself calmer, um, happier and better health that way. So uh, forest bathing can be very ca- fairly casual with you just doing it on your own, but there are professionals who get trained to lead forest bathing exercises. And I took part in one, it's probably about two or three years ago. And some people might find it a little hooey, I guess, as you go out there, because <laughs> the very first part, they put a ribbon and you step across the ribbon from one thing that you're in into the next. And then uh, you can go up and you can talk to a tree or you can just stand amongst them and hug the tree or do something like that. So, so that might be, not be everyone's cup of tea. You can probably go at it at your own level, but there, it's not that you're just, um, you could just go out there and walk, but you could also do it in a more structured way because some people might feel uncomfortable going outside and not, what do I do when mm-hmm. I'm here? Mm-hmm. And this would give it a more structured way for you to be led into nature. And the thought that, again, it would help with your well-being and help you perhaps recover from something you're dealing with. Yeah, I like that idea. And I also think that a lot of this is so similar to when I talk to someone about starting an exercise routine. Not everyone is going to be comfortable walking into a fitness center. You know, not everyone is going to be comfortable going to a group fitness class. So not everyone will be comfortable forest bathing. However, just getting outside or just, you know, even taking a moment to get up and look out a window. And, you know, when you're talking about the hospital study, I have heard, I have heard of that. And if I can, or if you can send me the link to it, but I'll try to find it because I've read that before and, and I'll include it in the show notes. But it's similar, you know, in workplaces, people who have a window in their office or near their workspace, you know, tend to have just a more positive a little, outlook. A little bit happier. You know? Yeah. So I know I, I like that. Let's talk about Trees Forever a little bit more. So you've been with Trees Forever for over 10 years now? Oh, just hitting 10 years. Just hitting 10 years. Yeah. I keep... I keep track on your life. Don't think I don't. <laughs> um, so what is a way that someone could get involved with Trees Forever? Yeah. Well, the obvious way of helping us plant trees, we are a nonprofit established and headquartered in Cedar Rapids area, but we work across the entire state of Iowa and into Illinois. Uh, I live in Des Moines, and so we do a lot of work here, but we have staff across the state who are helping uh, community members and people plant trees. And so we have lots of volunteer events, especially in Des Moines and Cedar Rapids with our uh, Growing Futures work where we're um, involving teenagers and our tree keepers, our trained volunteers. So people could certainly come out and uh, sign up on our website to volunteer and just come out and plant with us. Um, Once a year, we always host our tree keepers class. We just held one in March and we'll be holding one again in July where people can learn more about trees. It's all virtual um, now with COVID issues, and it'll be over the course of three nights from 6 to 8 p.m. More information at our website. If anyone has a teenager in their life, we would certainly love to have them be part of our Growing Futures Teen Employment Program. So we're paying our teenagers 
uh, $10 an hour to plant and care for trees around the city. And every week they get engaged in professional development activities so that they are ready to be part of our future workforce. They learn transferable job skills, uh, all while helping us make our tree, our city more treed and greener. Yeah, no, I love that. I remember when you started that, uh, is it called Growing Futures? Growing Futures, yeah. Yeah, the Growing Futures program. I remember how excited you were. And you're still very excited about it, but I remember when you first launched that. I also remember back in the earliest months of the pandemic, you mentioned that there was a tree planting and you said, and trees are already safely physically distanced. distanced. (laughs) Yes. So 20 to 30 uh, feet apart. Exactly. So, you know, if you're on, if someone listening has maybe been missing that feeling of community or wanting to get involved, but has been maybe uncomfortable just due to some of the recommendations that are in place due to the pandemic, tree planting could be a really good option for you to get involved, get back to your community, but also maintain a safe distance from people. Mm -hmm. So I like that. Uh, I know you uh, planted trees once down by the Blank Park Zoo. This might be a few years ago now, but I remember, um, I think we were actually going to the zoo that day and I I saw you and a bunch of teenagers (laughs) planting. And then not too long ago, well, it's probably been longer than I realized, but you planted at uh, right near the apartment where Audrey Mm -hmm. and I live. And uh, she, and I told her that you planted the trees. And so she actually just asked me the other day about Leslie and the trees. And she wanted to know all about how, you know, how the trees got there (laughs) and what you did. And so I just think, you know, and my daughter's four. And so it's just never too, never too early to talk to, you know, our future, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the the young people in, in this world about the environment and taking care of the environment. And she also thinks you're a tree doctor. So <laughs> I'll take know, it, which well, she, Leslie is not a tree doctor. So we'll just put that out there. Well, but. I, I'm a certified arborist. And <laughs> well, so okay. sometimes that's informally called a tree doctor. Okay. Well, so, so she's I'll not wrong. It. She's no. not wrong. She's not wrong. <laughs> um, let's talk about, I, I always like to give people, you know, something that they can do. So outside of getting involved with trees forever, if, if that were something that someone wanted to do, and I understand that that requires maybe a little bit more of a commitment or, you know, that's maybe something bigger than what our listeners are wanting to do right now or what some of our listeners are wanting to do. What would be maybe three simple ways someone could enhance their well-being in the natural world? Well, I think it could come a variety of different ways. I mean, I like to talk at Trees Forever from um, trying to get people involved who maybe don't want to pick up a shovel and go out and plant a tree. Maybe they want to use their own skill that... Um, they've developed or it's something they like to do on their side to speak for the trees, to speak for the environment. So maybe if somebody has a particular interest in photography or writing, that could be a really mm-hmm. great way yeah. to involve people because so many people connect uh, through beautiful writing or nature photography. And that is something that in, um, inspires them to care more for the environment. And whoever is interested in those things can use their own specific skill. So if it's maybe writing um a blog post or using your Instagram account or something like that to yeah. just take photos and post them and say, this is why I care. And I think you should too. That that's might not, maybe you have done that already, but until you start putting it in that mindset of, um, I can use my platform or use my, my voice to speak in a different way. It, it's just kind of reframing what maybe you're already doing. Yeah, I know. I like that idea. It's not one I would have come up with at all. I mean, Another, I would never have thought of that. Yeah. 
Another thing that we haven't really talked about here is I think we'd be remiss in not talking more about environmental justice and thinking about people of color and their um, reactions and their time spent outdoors, how um, many times poor health outcomes come to people of color and because of how uh, factories or uh, highways or things are placed within those communities. Mm -hmm. And uh, they tend to receive the bad end of environmental justice, and mm-hmm. so that they see more poor health outcomes related to that. They don't have as many trees. One thing we're focused on at Trees Forever is tree equity in our city. So trees tend to follow wealth. People who can care yeah. about trees and who have the time to do so, they request more trees from us, and they want us to plant trees in their neighborhood, and a neighborhood that's probably already pretty well treed. Mm-hmm. And so we're looking at neighborhoods that have already been redlined and are seeing historic um, issues related to ha- not having as many resources, and that included trees or mm-hmm. people caring for trees in their community. Um, or they may like to see trees in their community, but they've been historically um, disadvantaged in other areas so that their street lights haven't been replaced or their sidewalks haven't been replaced so that when we come for trees and to plant trees in their neighborhoods, it's, it could possibly be received as a negative because it's just one more thing that's not going to be taken care of in their community. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Our um, peer group in Detroit saw this. They were going out with free street trees for their neighborhoods, and people were saying no, and the, the nonprofit there was just couldn't understand it. Like, well, why, why don't you want trees? They're, everyone likes trees. And until they actually listened and heard from the community about why that was an issue, um, because of those historic disadvantages, those historic um, ways those the neighborhood had been treated and not mm-hmm. paid attention to, now they understood and now they knew how they need to engage the neighborhood and listen to them. Um, and just maybe more um, historic ways that people have lived in nature and maybe being kind of scary because of what could be out there from people of color. Um, and their reaction to nature, I think it's important to be thinking of those and how we can get everybody outside. But coming at it from a place of hearing and listening, because you and I have been talking about how we would enjoy being outside. And it might not be everyone's uh, perspective from where they come from because of historical backgrounds, uh, ways they've been treated. And I bring that up here and maybe listeners could be thinking about that in a different lens of you like to go outside and you enjoy it and it's easy for you to do, but it might not be easy for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. I think that's one of the things I love the most about these conversations that we have on our podcast is that that perspective, I've heard you speak to it in the past, but I've never really, you know, taken the time to think through all of the different ways in which it would affect mm-hmm. different communities. And so, no, I, I appreciate your perspective on that. And I think it's definitely something for people to consider as, you know, as they go through and think about the natural environment and different ways to stay engaged. It's not always equitable. Mm-hmm. So No, not at all. Uh, when there was the derecho in the summer of 2020, how did that affect uh, what you were doing with Trees Forever. And when you mentioned that trees follow wealth, I just thought, yeah, I mean, if you lost your home in a in a storm like that, or if you had major damage to your home in a storm like that, planting a tree is probably one of the last things that you're thinking of doing. Yeah, I, I think we're just, we're, we're hearing more. It's just going to keep coming out over the next year. And 
people are going to start to forget about the storm pretty quickly, but the ramifications of how it impacts people will be happening for many, many, many years. Um, initial estimates are saying we lost 4 million trees. Lost four mil- or damage. 4, four million. million trees. Yes. In, in the state of Iowa. In the state of Iowa. And really just across a band of Iowa. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it's huge numbers. Um, we're able to use something called iTree, which is a U.S. Forest Service calculation that says that a sycamore tree takes up this much water, it shades my home this much, and that equates to this much energy savings, all in dollar value. So Iowa DNR will take that information, plug it all in for those 4 million trees lost, and we'll start to see what the loss was to our community from just an environmental services. And environmental services might be kind of a weird term. Essentially, it means... A tree pays us back because mm-hmm. it sucks up stormwater, and I don't have to pay for it at the sewage treatment plant. Mm-hmm. It shades my home, and I don't have to pay for as much electricity now because my house is cooler from that tree. Mm-hmm. We can calculate that. That's what I mean by environmental services. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to be astronomical what we lost from that. And then when you're talking about people losing their homes, what's very unfortunate is that trees aren't covered by your insurance when they come down. If it falls on your house and causes damage, yes, that damage will be paid for. But if you just lose a tree in the middle of your yard, not covered by insurance. And Trees Forever's headquarters is in Cedar Rapids, and that's where the biggest brunt of the storm was happened. And people are losing 50 to 60 trees on their property and having like $50,000 bills from tree loss. I mean, wow. if that... So, I mean, the and the bills were coming from the removal, right? From of- the removal, yep how and costly so, it is to remove trees. Yes. Wow. And that could be another thing as we think about environmental justice and trying to get more tree equity. If you can't afford, or you're just trying to live your day-to-day life and feed yourself, um, pay for your, your rent or your mortgage, and you're worried about tree on your property, it's totally understandable why people would maybe hesitate to have a tree on their property for fear of what might happen. Or, you know, if, if you had been affected by that storm and you lost trees or the trees caused damage or it was so costly to have them removed. I mean, planting new ones is probably one of the last things you're wanting to do in that moment. Yeah. Yeah. So Earth Day is coming up on April 22nd. (laughs) And what are you doing? What are you going to do to celebrate Earth Day? Well, it's a big time of year for people like me because we have Earth Day on April 22nd. And then Arbor Day is always the last Friday of April as well. So okay. big holidays for the tree people. Very <laughs> exciting. People. It's almost too much to handle. <laughs> I know. I mean, they basically fall in the same week, right? Or Yes, usually within maybe the week. Maybe d- depending, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. And so we will always host lots of tree plantings. April is prime tree planting season for us. So we are out planting at least a few times a week. We're trying to get almost a thousand trees planted this year in Des Moines and a couple thousand over in Cedar Rapids. So we will be having lots of planting activities. Um, That's probably about the big thing that we'll be doing is getting people outside to plant trees. Well, very, very cool. I was so excited to speak with you today about the environment and what you're doing at Trees Forever and just trees in general. Yes. Uh, I'm excited for Earth Day. I will most likely get outside and Audrey and I will probably pick up rocks, collect rocks. She's really into rock collecting right now. And it's just funny because there are a lot of things that you find in the natural world that you would overlook. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we'll probably do some some rock hunting. Good. You have a future and geologist. I might have a future <laughs> geologist. We definitely have quite a collection built up. 
Uh, and then, yeah, and it's also that time of the year when people are starting to think about gardening. And as that relates back to food and food choices, um, and I understand gardening is not always equitable either, um, mm-hmm. but, you know, for people who can participate in gardening in their own spaces or community gardens, which, they're, you know, those have become increasingly popular, I think that's another way to just, um, you know, be in touch with with the earth and especially as it relates to, you know, the food that you're providing, you know, your body, uh, the food you're providing for your families, it can be another great way to get involved. And it is that time of year to think about. So um, whether you have your own garden, you're participating in a community garden, or maybe you're just supporting, yeah, yeah. um, Supporting, you know, a farmer's market or a food cooperative. Mm -hmm. There's so many different ways. So thank you so much for your time and expertise. And I am going to link to Uh, trees forever in our show notes and so that will be a way for people to stay connected to your organization and then also the different ways to uh, just be involved with trees so thank you so much for your time leslie thanks for having me make it a great day thanks for listening to emotion well please subscribe to us and don't forget to rate us we can be found on apple podcasts google podcasts and spotify emotion well is hosted by johanna dunlevy and produced by emily wonka